It's March 13th, and you're listening to the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake Farley, and we're continuing our series uh, through Numbers in the Old Testament. Uh, and this book is, uh, you know, it's not the easiest to read if you read it from the perspective of what's in it for me, uh, which is how most of us read the Bible. We look for it, and we're looking for something to stand out to us. We're looking for a command. We're looking for something to do. And that makes books like Numbers and a lot of the other ones in the Old Testament really hard to read. And so uh, one of the the things that's most helpful uh, for me in Bible study and for people who I try to teach uh, that want to know how to study the Bible more effectively is not to start with the question of what does it say for me, but to start with the question of who is God? What does this text say about God? Why? What does it say about God that he wants his people numbered? What does it say about God that he takes these things so serious? can reveal something about his holiness, his goodness, his mightiness, his all-powerfulness. Fall in love with the person of God. And then, after that, look at what has God done. Where do we where do we see God's overall scope and plan uh, for his people in, in the story? What do the sacrifices uh, point to? Could it point to the fact that he sent his son Jesus to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we deserve to die? I don't know, maybe. Uh, and then, uh, the third question is, who am I in light of this? So if that's true about God, and if it's true God did that, who has he made me? Has he, he made me uh, a child, a servant, a missionary? You know, who has he made me in light of that? And then finally, the fourth question to ask is, okay, if all those things are true, then how am I to live? So if, if I'm a missionary, how should I live? Well, I should be one who's living on mission to everybody I see. So that's just, uh, I want to take a little longer on the intro here because we've been reading this book and it can be like, man, this is a hard thing to get through. And it really is if you look at the Bible from a selfish standpoint. But if you look at the Bible... For what it is, which is God's story about God, um, things begin to make a lot more sense. God is revealing himself to us through this book. All right, Numbers 19 and 20, New Living Translation, beginning in verse number 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Here is another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to plow. Give it to Eliziar, the priest, and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eliziar will take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tabernacle. As Eliziar watches, the heifer must be burned, its hide, meat, blood, and dung. Eliziar, the priest, must then take a stick of cedar, hyssop branch, and some scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire where the heifer is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, he may return to the camp, though he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns the animal must also wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he too will remain unclean until evening. Then someone who is ceremonially clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them in a purified place outside the camp. They will be kept there for the community of Israel to use in the water for the purification ceremony. This ceremony is performed for the removal of sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. This is a permanent law for the people of Israel and any foreigner who lives among them. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh day with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they do not do this on the third day and seventh day, they will continue to be unclean, even after the seventh day. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way 
defile the Lord's tabernacle, and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. This is the ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent. All those who entered that tent and those who were inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Any open container in the tent that was not covered with a lid is also defiled. And if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or who died a natural death, or if someone touches a human bone or grave, that person will be defiled for seven days. To remove the defilement, put some of the ashes from their burnt purification offering in a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then someone who is ceremonially clean must take a hyssop branch and dip it into the water. That person must sprinkle the water on the tent and on all the furnishings in the tent and on the people who were in the tent. Also on the people who touched a human bone or touched someone who was killed or who died naturally or touched a grave. On the third and seventh days, the person who is ceremonially clean must sprinkle the water on those who are defiled. Then on the seventh day, the people being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe themselves and that evening they will be cleansed of their defilement. But those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community, for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled. This is a permanent law for the people. Those who sprinkle the water of purification must afterward wash their clothes, and anyone who then touches the water used for purification will remain defiled until evening. Anything and anyone that a defiled person touches will be ceremonially unclean until evening. Moving into chapter 20, verse 1. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle, where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring our, you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there the people of Israel argued with God, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edom with, his, with this message. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel, say. You know all the hardship we have been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt. We lived there a long time, and we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. But the king of Edom said, Stay out of my land or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, We will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. 
But the king of Edom replied, Stay out, you may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. The whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Mount Hor, there on the border of the land of Edom. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. He will not enter the land I am giving the people of Israel, because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Meribah. Now take Aaron and his son Eliziar up Mount Hor. There you will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eliziar, his son. Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up Mount Hor together as the whole community watched. At the summit, Moses removed the priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eliziar, Aaron's son. Then Aaron died there on the top of the mountain, and Moses and Eliziar went back down. When the people realized that Aaron had died, all Israel mourned for him for 30 days. That concludes our Old Testament reading. Moving into the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theopolis, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of the service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. And now we will read uh, Proverbs 11.8, which says this, The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. And finally, we will read Psalm 56 in a posture of prayer. Again, this is the 56th Psalm. For the choir director, a Psalm of David, regarding the time the Philistines seized him in Gath, to be sung to the tune, Dove on Distant Oaks. 
verse 1. O God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Lord, I pray that this verse would not just be something I read today, but it would be cemented in my heart. Lord, that I would be able to agree with David, that when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. And I will remember that mere mortals can do nothing to me. The worst they can do is kill me, but through your son, Jesus Christ, I have victory even over death. And so for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 5. They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get their way with their wickedness. And your anger, O God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. O Lord, what encouragement it brings, what hope it brings to know that you see all of our sorrows. You weep with those who weep. Lord, the world is not as it is supposed to be. Sin has wrecked it. And yet, you have not turned your back on us, but you literally entered into it as Jesus came, fully man, yet fully God. And you took those sorrows upon your own shoulders. And one day, we believe that when Jesus returns, there will be no more sorrows, no more sickness, because there will be no more sin. Verse 9. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. And verse 13, as it ends the psalm, will end our prayer as well. Lord, says, For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining me for today's reading. And I hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.